Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. You don't understand. This is a liar. How can you think that I'm her dad, but we both look exactly the same age? We do not look the same age. I was being kind. Wait, I'm going to hypnotize him. I hereby christen this mutton Barbie camper. Priscilla, queen of the desert. Hello and welcome to this episode of Pop Goes the Tam Tam. You know the drill by now, we're going to be discussing episode 4 of series 1, Our Flag Means Death, Discomfort in a Married State. Now, finally, it's only taken about four weeks for me to start reading out the episode summaries. So here is the summary. As the threat of attack looms, Blackbeard and Steed finally meet. Jim fields questions from an overly curious crew. So, as always, I am joined by an extra special guest. And this week, announce yourself special guest. Hi, it's Nick Tamsin's mum. That's right, Nick Tamsin's mum is back again and she's back again for episode four. Thank you, I've lowered the restraining order so that you were able to come aboard and record this podcast with me. It's lovely to have you. Thank you. So I have to marry a complete stranger? Well, yes. He's not some derelict. He has money. I just... I thought that when I did marry, it could be for love. Peasants marry for love. Mary has acreage. Okay, so let's jump into this episode. There were two central points of this episode, I would feel. The first one is we got a lot more background in regards to Steed's marriage to Mary. Yep. And we also spent some time with Blackbeard, extended time with him, and also Blackbeard and Steed properly met when Steed was conscious. Yeah. So, yeah. Should we touch on the the marriage first? Oh, I know what I was going to (laughs) say. What? (laughs) The title. The title. The title of this episode, yes. The title of this episode is Discomfort in a Married State, That's super interesting because the real Steed Bonnet, the horrible real Steed Bonnet, used the fact that his wife was a nag as the reason why he became a pirate. So in his world, the reason why he did all this bad stuff was because of her, even though she was nowhere to be seen. (laughs) That's what you call influence. So it's really interesting because I think one thing that I have particularly noticed with this series is that the writer David Jenkins has clearly done a bit of research or quite a lot of research actually and he's sort of peppered it throughout the series and there are a lot of instances that happen that are actually based on real true events that took place. For instance, the title of this. Mm. So let's discuss the setup for the marriage because you had some things to say about it so I'm just going to open the floor to you I did feel that it was a little bit heavy weather it was it was layered on with a trowel the the gravestone the two gravestones it was just a bit too much it was far too hammy and it just didn't work for me at all what do you think 
Well, I didn't feel that way myself, but I do wonder if it might have been funnier and also sadder if we'd had two much younger actors playing Steed and Mary. That would have really worked. Well, I was going to add to that because (laughs) it would have shown the length of time that they've actually been stuck in this marriage. Which would explain their unhappiness. And why he feels the monotony has finally gotten to him. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you can kind of guess how long they've been together by the children. But I don't know. I think there's something, would have been something quite poignant if you had seen maybe two 18-year-olds getting married or even younger because people... Yeah, exactly. And that when they were given those headstones... If they, I mean, you could play this as a total comedy, but a couple of 11-year-olds and they're presented with these headstones on their betrothal and it's like, you've already lived your lives and this, this is your destiny. I would imagine it would make you... Full of enthusiasm. I would also say angry and disheartened. I think that that might have helped, but at the same time, I mean, what are we, four episodes in now? And you might not have known who those characters were. True. If you had done that. But I want to say, I think the thing that comes out of it so strongly with this opening sequence is, for me, how great Mary actually is. Yeah. Because the whole way through, she is trying. She's really trying. She's making the best of it. She doesn't want this any more than he does. In fact, you get the sense that she wants this less than him. Yeah. When when they're finally married and she puts her hand out to him and he's so reluctant to take it, it's terribly sad. It really is. And it shows all the way along that she is really trying to make this a success, to make this work. Yeah, because with the painting, for example, she's so happy to show it to him. Yeah. And he just doesn't get it at all. No, he doesn't. You know, and the, the... vice versa with with the ship yeah they're so out of sync with one another yeah, yeah. and they, they can't find a, a a common line to enjoy either's pastimes pa- yeah their passions things that they're passionate about yeah yeah i would say that steed actively lies to mary mm. i mean i think it's quite interesting he has the boat made with no consultation to her and i also think when he sends her that sort of dear john letter when he's left it kind of makes it clear that the acres he sold were hers. Yeah. The last time we really see them together, she's trying to reach out to him again Mm. when they're in bed together and she basically says, we would never have chosen each other in a million years, but we need to try and make the best of what we've got. And he pretends to be asleep. And then when he knows she's asleep, he sneaks out. So he's just completely disengaged from her. And he's going to live this fantasy life, whether she likes it or not. Mm. And he had a perfect opportunity there to say, look, I'm about ready to go, but I'm going to tell you now to your face. I don't think so, though, because he's a coward. Oh, he's a terrible coward. You know, he's a coward. He would never confront her and say that to her. He would never say to her, I know how you feel. I feel the same way too. I can't make this marriage work. I need some space on a pirate ship. (laughs) As you do. As you do. And I think that a lot of other comedies, especially ones I would say in the noughties, 
probably would have leaned into the whole Mary is a nag scenario. Mm. And I think that our flag means death just shows again that we're living in a much more enlightened time. Absolutely. Hey, let's not brutalise our guests like that. So let's move on to the next important plot point of this episode, which is obviously Blackbeard slash Blackbeard and Steed meeting. Let's discuss Blackbeard first, because although we've had a little bit of him in episode three, this one we actually meet him and we actually find out what's going on in his brain which is just full of angst and recriminations and middle-aged boredom. He's as dissatisfied as Steed, isn't he? Yes, and I think that's an important point to make because Steed and Blackbeard are very much, obviously, yin and yang to one another. They're the opposite. So, like, Blackbeard is living this piratical dream where he doesn't need to even be on a ship to terrify people and he is myth and legend steed wants all of that he wants to be that but blackbeard absolutely is completely tired of it and just wants to go and sort of maybe i don't know if you can have a coconut plantation and grow coconuts but i feel like that's the vibe he wants he does he wants to just i don't know live on an island alone and read magazines Lounge by the pool. Lounge by the pool. And I think what's so interesting about that is it basically talks about just because something looks really good from the outside doesn't mean that it feels good on the inside. People get trapped in a way of life and cannot escape. And that becomes their whole default persona. That's it. If you were say to set this in modern times you could use the allegory of blackbeard being a really top social influencer and they have just gotten stuck in this a day in my life as a pirate captain vibe and cannot escape so is it in essence uh, comedy around midlife crisis then yeah but i don't just think it's a comedy about a midlife crisis i also think it's a comedy about the narrow parameters that bind people in to certain situations Mm. and the fact that it's so hard to change the record after a while you get stuck yeah you sort of believe it yeah more more and more and more and there is no reason why anybody can't within certain economic parameters escape a life that they don't really like yeah i agree i don't just think it's physically escaping though I also think it's mentally escaping and how you can get mentally boxed in and how you can end up in an echo chamber I mean that's essentially what's happened to Blackbeard he's ended up surrounding himself with people like Izzy and his other leather clad goons and all of their friends are probably awful and one day he's woken up and he's been like oh my god I have to escape mm. this echo chamber. Yeah. My water bottle just exploded. Sorry. <laughs> that was really loud. How hard it is 
to flip the script when you are in an echo chamber, when everybody thinks and speaks and does exactly what you do. Well, it's scary. It is scary. And I would say, going to the end of the episode, we have that moment with Blackbeard and Izzy when Izzy's packing up the boat to leave. I think it's quite interesting because up until this point, you get the feeling that Blackbeard is really trying to get out of this way of life. But then when it looks like Izzy's actually going to leave, he kind of just submits to the echo chamber. Yeah, they have the conversation, don't they? They have the conversation, which basically turns out to be this. I'm going to kill Steve. He's going to be Blackbeard. I'm going to take his identity and retire. And you can lead the revenge. You can have your own crew. And I can live my life as the coconut magazine reader. (laughs) (laughs) But it's really interesting because it was the point where I kind of felt like, why doesn't he just let him go? He doesn't want to be there. Why doesn't he just let him go? It would be the easiest thing in the world just to let him go. Because I think at the back of his mind, there's always that nagging suspicion that maybe that is a good option and he should keep it on ice, even though he probably, another part of him thinks, no, I'm just going to play a game here. Yeah. It is very interesting, but his face betrays him, Yeah, I think, at the end when he turns. When Blackbeard turns and you see him facing the camera and you see that this is not... He's trapped himself again and he's realised, mm. you know. And I don't know whether he that expression is one born out of, I don't want to kill Steed, I don't want to do this, or whether it's born out of, why did I just agree to this? Why didn't I just let him go, you know? And it's really interesting because it's quite cryptic, but still, you see someone who's trapped. He's now trapped himself into a situation where he has to kill Steed. He's also trapped himself into a situation where he has to continue this way of life, even just for a bit longer. And can he even escape it even then? Will magazines and coconuts be enough for him? Why am I obsessed with that? thinking of bounty bars oh i love a good bounty i love a good bounty other chocolate bars are available i don't understand people who say they don't like bounties who are these people no it's coconut and it's chocolate and you get two of them this is a good bar to have especially when they're cold i love to eat the outside and then Yeah, I like to eat the chocolate and then the middle. Yum, yum. So it's not one of those um, chocolates that I can eat in public because I'm there like ro- rolling it around with my fingers, you know, being a pig. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Mars bar. I love to take the toffee and uh, the Sorry, chocolate. a what? Mars bar. Mars bar. Sorry, no, what did you Marzi originally... Bar. A Mars bar. Yeah. Right. I like, I like to take the chocolate and the toffee off a Mars bar. And this is why neither of us can eat successfully in public. (laughs) Anyway, getting off the subject of chocolate, which is hard. And I really want some now. I've got some biscuits. You brought biscuits? Yeah. Oh no, don't get them now. We'll get them later. She's getting something from her handbag. Oh, it's chocolate biscuits. Okay, we'll put them over there. I lo- <laughs> anyway, and I don't know what I was going to add to that. 
<laughs> the chocolate biscuits are calling to me. <laughs> but I thought it was really, really interesting the way that they set up the similarities between Steed and between Blackbeard and how essentially they've sort of found each other. They, these are two people who feel very similar about the way that the world is and there's, how they're placed in it. There's a great bit when, when Steed manages to get up off the off the cot and <clears throat> he um Blackbeard is 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 looking at the fabric, the stole. Yes. And he says, is this silk? And he says, no, it's very fine cashmere. And I just thought about you. Yeah. Oh. Because that's the next thing we want to talk about, really. How much both of us, oh. all of that stuff. Oh, God, the yeah. fake, The fake passages and so many clothes that you actually lose items and then find them again. And then you're surprised. Oh, I was wondering. I haven't seen this in five years. Does it fit me? No. Am I still going to keep it? Yes. This is why you started a vintage shop. <laughs> well, I had to. <laughs> because I had so many clothes that at this point, it was like Netflix. Even if I lived forever, some of them were never going to get worn. <laughs> I never have been. Well, no, I know. <laughs> um, conspicuous consumption, yes. Naughty. But I really... I really enjoyed that. And we really loved all the fabrics and everything oh, like well, that. Oh, well, good. Yeah. And I have to say, yeah, some of the some of the clothes are crazy. I mean, Blackbeard's dressed like Mad Max from Fury. I didn't notice that. Until you pointed that out, I did not well, notice. Well, he's definitely dressed as Mad Max. He is. From Thunder Road Dome. Warrior. Oh, Road Warrior. Well, you're going Thunderdome. Yeah. I'm going Road Warrior. Okay. But to be honest, I don't think his costume really changes that much. It could be either. Yeah. Could be both. Yeah, that's really out of out of historic, you know, whatever. Zips weren't invented. Exactly. That's the word I was reaching oh, for. Oh. But I have to say, I really liked the costumes for Mary. They were nice. They were really nice. And I mean they always beautiful fabric. They always serve great things for Steed. Steed's got an amazing wardrobe. And something I thought about, but then since then, when I was watching it, I've changed my mind, which is when we were watching it, I said to you, wouldn't it have been better if Steed and Mary's palette had clashed more? Mm. Because they're so sort of, they... It's autumnal. Yeah, and they very much feel like they're a couple with the way, with the colours that they dress. They yeah. very much dress, they're coordinated all the time. Even if it doesn't seem like they are, they're within the same sort of spectrum of colours. Then I thought about Steed and Blackbeard and they completely clash. I mean, the silhouettes are different, yeah. the fabrics are different. So maybe that would have been too much. And maybe the fact that Steed and Mary do pair so well together is an indication of, Yes, they're from more from the same class yeah. than they have the same ideas or emotions towards one another or anything like that. Yeah, because it's two different worlds colliding. Yes, really. yeah, with Blackbeard and Steve. Absolutely. Yeah. So in this episode, we also got to see more crew interactions. And I have to say, one of my highlights of each episode is the crew of the Revenge I absolutely love all their interactions. But I also just wanted to talk about one little thing, which is Izzy. 
and the way he interacts with the crew, specifically during that lunchtime chat. And I just <laughs> want to say it gave me your vibes at work. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and having worked with you during the summer holidays when I was a kid, <laughs> I got flashbacks. <laughs> I'm not going to deny it. And I love the bit with um, Lucius and the hammer because you've worked with people like that. (laughs) (laughs) Furthermore, to the interaction, something that I noticed was that some of the reactions to Blackbeard being on the ship were slightly different. And two that really stood out to me were Olawande and Jin. Because they're just in the background of shot when um, Blackbeard is doing his whole introduction thing. And you can see on Jim's face that they are concerned, really concerned Mm. about the situation that they're in. And also, Olawande does not seem to be vibing with it either. Well, they've still got a grasp on reality, those two. That's what I was going to say. Both of them have got the common sense. There's one brain cell on that ship and it kind of fluctuates between Jim and Ola one day yeah. and it's occasionally given to Lucius. But it's really just those two constantly with any sort of idea of what's going on. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting. And you said about the crew in general, how they'd sort of given up at this point and were just completely useless. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. They've come. I mean, they've they've just lost it, haven't they? Yeah, they have. They have. And they, I think they've lost all sense of themselves, what they're doing, where they're going, and what time it is. Well, so basically, they're living in lockdown twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's really telling at the end when you have the whole sequence with the fog. It's a leap year, so Blackbeard's plan won't work. And he kind of surrenders to death quite quickly. Mm. I thought maybe too quickly, but that's just me. But then the whole way through, he's been talking about maybe I should just die. He's doing the whole Tanya from White Lotus thing. Um, He's giving me those vibes. I thought it was interesting how the crew reacted. Like you had Frenchie and he just went and sat down. Mm. And a lot of them are just... Yes, very. I felt that was giving me West Country energies, if I'm honest. It was giving me... Acceptance. Just acceptance of the situation, especially when he explained that the world is not that incredible and that it's just a bit flat and rocky, which is kind of true. (laughs) But I thought it was really interesting how the crew kind of just surrendered Mm. to death. Do you know the bit that I found the most scary? Tell me, because I'd be interesting if we still felt that, because I thought that there was one bit that was really scary as well, so hit me with your bit. The bit that I found really scary, it, and shows you, well anyway, the bit that I found most scary was when Blackbeard came out as Steed. Yes. Yes. And how he behaved, mm. and how the other one behaved. But it was so mad, and he was, Blackbeard was so frightening Mm. line up yeah that was it for me too oh really yes a hundred percent 
it was so unhinged. It was totally mad. And what was so good about it was he asked them to line up and he's like, line up! And they weren't doing it. He went, line up. Yeah. And there was that tonal shift mm. that just told you that, A, this is not someone who's used to having to say something twice. Mm. And B, this is someone who could turn very nasty very quickly. There's no sort of... Leeway? Uh, yeah, exactly. It's just one to a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. I th- yeah, I, I thought that was very scary. In fact, I thought it was the most intimidating thing. Yeah, it was so menacing. It was really menacing. And it also gave me, and I recognise this because I am one, it gave me only child energy. Yeah, you did say that. Because that's what Do it's it. like. Do it now. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Look, I've all invited you over to my party and we will play <laughs> the games I want to play. <laughs> You're going home now. But yeah, you're right. It was it was the least to do, but the most intense and the most sinister. Mm. And it was just the line reading, I think. Yes, I do too. And the shift between asking and telling mm. was well a done. nice bit of acting, mm. I thought. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. yeah. It was very convincing. Yeah, I thought so. Because there's that uneasy tension, I think, with Blackbeard. You never know when he's going to change. No, he can turn on a sixpence. He can. And you've got that constant, um, what's happening here and what's going on next. So it's nice tension, I would say. It keeps the audience feeding, like, what is going to go on. And also, it's a nice way to sort of shorthand that the relationship between Blackbeard and the crew is changing when it actually starts to change. Mm that you can see more predictability and less of this sort of unhinged, anything could happen. And now I'm thinking Thunderbirds. Okay. Okay. Now, I'm just going to say this. I think that, personally, I know a lot of people say, say what? But I think Reese Darby would make a really good Thunderbird. Why are you so quiet? <laughs> well, I'm just thinking, would he be, would he be Mr. Tracy? Or He'd be Grace? Jeff Tracy. Is, yeah. is Jeff Tracy the dad? I think. I'm so. thinking of Jim Robinson. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> no, he'd be Mr. Tracy. That's yeah. Behind the desk. He he's giving me Mr. Tracy vibes. Yeah. I think he's aged into the role now. I do too. He could do this. People would say no. He should be brains. No, he should be Mr. Tracy. Yeah. I would just love to have Reese Darby's voice coming out of the puppet, Mr. Tracy. Oh, it'd be brilliant. I love this. And if you're listening, anyone who's interested, anyone who's involved with Thunderbirds, if you're listening, please do this. (laughs) You can have this idea for free. I don't care who else you cast. Just cast Reese Darby as Mr. Tracy. Slash, I think his name's Jeff, but I don't think that's right. And I also want to think his name is Jim, but that's because I was getting confused with Jim Robinson. Don't ask why. (laughs) (laughs) So let's just bring this whole crazy episode to a conclusion. Okay, we've cast (laughs) Mr. Tracy. Uh, and then, in, in following episodes, we will do the rest of the cast. I don't really care now. I've got Jeff, Jim, 
Tracy Robinson. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> we'll just go with that one. I don't care what they do for the rest. <laughs> Let's give this episode a rating. So what would you rate this episode? I would rate this episode, and this is specifically due to the scene with Steed and Blackbeard coming up on deck, mm-hmm. swapping their clothes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a seven. Okay, seven. Seven out of ten. Because well, I remembered it's out of ten. It's out of ten. See, it's only taken me four weeks, but I'm there. <laughs> Personally, I would give it slightly higher than that, but you're the guest, so it's seven out of ten from us. I never know how to end these podcasts. Bye. There we go. Bye. Five, four, three, two, one. Thunderbirds are go.